So today, we're in Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we're going to continue in this chapter. This chapter is known as the faith chapter, and I did some counting, around about 25, I'm not going to give you a precise number because my counting is probably wrong, around about 25 times in this chapter, the word faith is used. So that's why we call it the faith chapter. It's all about faith, and it's a very, very important chapter because what this chapter does is, is it defines what biblical faith is and then it also shows us what it looks like in a person's life and gives us examples of that. And uh, when, when I say it defines what faith is, it, it really defines what biblical faith is. And I use that phrase biblical faith because this, you know, the word faith has sort of become a bit of a buzzword in our culture today. People throw that word faith around and yet many times when people refer to faith they're not referring to what the Bible's referring to when it talks about faith. You know, so you'll have people, I, I see it often on social media, people will say things like, you know, uh, keep the faith or just have faith. And they're not talking about what the Bible's talking about. They're not talking about having faith in God or faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're simply talking about um, having a positive outlook and keeping an optimistic um, outlook on life and that everything will just turn out alright in the end. You know, so that's very different to what we see in this chapter which is biblical faith, what the Bible calls faith. And uh, I just put up here, just a, if you can put it up there Dana, just a, a definition. I mean it's just my definition, it's probably not the most precise definition in the world. But just to give you an idea of what I sort of gain out of this chapter, what is biblical faith? It is the absolute assurance that God will fulfill the promises given to us through Jesus Christ in the gospel, even though they pertain to things that are not a part of this creation and, and are therefore unseen. So biblical faith has to do with Christ, it has to do with the gospel, it has to do with God's promises, it has to do with His Word. You cannot separate biblical faith from any one of those things. It is based on the belief that Scripture is the absolute truth. And that the message of the Bible, as explained to us in the New Testament, is the absolute truth. That it is the Word of God to us. And that God is going to keep and fulfill every one of His promises to His people. If you believe that, you have biblical faith. And it's this kind of faith that glorifies and honors God. Because really it's, a, it's our declaration that we believe in Him, in His character, in His virtue. Unbelief, when we refuse to believe what God has promised or we doubt His promises, do you know that we are casting this sort of negative um, What's the word I'm looking for? A negative view on who God is. We're actually bringing dishonor to Him. We are doing the opposite of glorifying Him when we doubt Him. You imagine if you gave your word to somebody and that person refused to believe that you would honor your word. What does that speak about His understanding of your character? Does that bring any glory or honor to you? If someone cannot even believe you, cannot believe what you say to them? But if you give your word to someone 
and there is a response of faith in your word that will bring honor to you. That is a form of honoring you. And so when we trust in God, when we trust in his word, when we take him at his promises and we believe that he will fulfill them, even though we may not understand how he's going to do it, you know that that brings honor and glory to him. And so it pleases him. And not only so, what we also see in this chapter is that faith in God, not only does it honor and glorify him, but it will move us to live in a way that pleases him. So we, we seen in this uh, book of Hebrews at the very end of chapter 10, as he moves into talking about faith, where he says the righteous will live by faith. And so faith in God and faith in the word of God is the defining characteristic of the people that God considers righteous. It's the defining characteristic. When we believe what God says is true, when we believe that He is true, God says they're righteous. The act of believing brings God's commendation on our lives. Not only so, but when we have faith in our hearts, it will lead us to do what is righteous in God's eyes. And as we'll see as we go on in this chapter today, it will move us to fear God. Faith will move us to fear Him. Not in the sense that we run away from Him and we try to hide from Him, but actually in the sense that we obey Him. It will lead us to trust in Him. It will lead us to put our hope in Him. And to seek Him because we believe that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that about God? Do you believe that the God that we worship and serve, the God that we were singing about and singing to, is a God who rewards those who seek Him? That's who He is. That's who the Bible says He is. He rewards people who, because they believe in Him, move towards Him and seek Him. And so, that's what every one of us wants to be. So in this chapter, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing how faith in God works out in people's everyday lives. And this chapter records these Old Testament saints and the way their faith in God affected an impact and shaped their lives. And you know, this chapter could be continued. It ends at the Old Testament because that's when this letter was written. But if this letter was to be written today, do you know that your name could be in it? You could be a part of this chapter. By faith, they did what they did. And by faith, we can live the way that God wants us to live as well. Okay, so not only is this a record of people that have lived in the past, but this is also an inspiration for us to be able to be a part of this chapter. So we've looked up to verse 16, and what we want to do today is continue from verse 17. So Dana can put up uh, the first few verses here. What we're going to do, we're going to go through to verse 40, but I'm, I'm just going to go through verse by verse, and just we're going to be making some observations as we go along. So let's start in verse 17. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He had received the promises, 
that is the promises that were concerning Isaac, yet he was ready to offer up his only son. God had told him through Isaac, descendants will carry on your name, and he reasoned that God could even raise him from the dead, and in a sense, he received him back from death. So this is the story of Abraham, which can be read in, in Genesis chapter 22, where God told him to take his son and go and sacrifice him on the mountain that God was going to show him. And so we see that it says that Abraham did exactly what God had told him to do. Now can you imagine, put yourself in the shoes of these men. Can you imagine you've waited a hundred years or close to for a child, for a son, for someone that would be the heir from your body. And you have the son now who God had promised to you, given to you, and now he's saying go and sacrifice him. Can you imagine what went through Abraham's mind? He was going to take the very promise of God and he was going to place that promise on the altar and he was going to bring it to an end. And he went the whole way. He took that knife. He had already bound Isaac on the altar. Bound him with ropes to stop him getting off the altar. And he was about to plunge that knife in and kill Isaac. When God stopped him. It was never in God's heart for him to do that. But God, the Bible says God tested him. He was tested by God. What was God testing? To see what kind of obedience... Abraham had what level would he go to in his obedience to God and what we see is Abraham was prepared to go the whole way there was nothing that Abraham had that was more important more valuable of greater worth to him than his relationship with God I'm sure Abraham would have very readily sacrificed and offered himself before he ever even thought of doing that to Isaac. He was willing. In fact, let me put it this way. He had the same love for God that God has for us. That's an incredible statement. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sacrificed him for us. And Abraham, because of his love for God, was willing to sacrifice his only son. Because God wanted him to do that and asked him to do that. And I wonder today what our love for God is like. I ask that of myself. Is my love for God greater than my love for myself? Is it greater than my love for things? Is it even greater than my love for my sons and my daughter? Challenging questions, aren't they? But that's the kind of love that Abraham had for God. And why it says here, by faith. It was because of his faith in God. And it seems that from what we can see here, that there was something in Abraham's heart where he said, even if Isaac dies... God will still fulfill His promise and He will still be my heir. He believed somehow that God would raise Him from the dead. There was 
thoughts working in Abraham's mind that we don't fully know. But these thoughts were being motivated and they were arising out of this faith that he had in God. A faith that believed that God would fulfill his promises no matter what happened. No matter what circumstance he was in. So this is a real challenge for us, isn't it? Let me just put up a, another slide. I think it's there. You probably read it. Because Abraham had faith in God, in his faithfulness, in his power, and in his wisdom, he had no problem doing what God was telling him to do, even when it seemed contrary to what God had promised him. Isn't that incredible? Let's go to the next verse, verse 20 and 21, next two verses. It says, By faith also Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the future. By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped as he leaned on his staff. I ask the question, what was this act of blessing based on? On what basis did Jacob and Isaac bless these children of theirs? Was it on the basis of wishful thinking? Was it just on the basis of their dreams and their desires for their offspring's future? Was it a belief in positive confession? Did they do this because they believed that if they spoke these words over their, their offspring that, that it would come to pass? I think if we look at Scripture, what it was based on is this. It was based on the promise that God had given to them concerning their offspring. Both Isaac and Jacob had received these incredible promises from God, covenantal promises from God, that He would bless their offspring. And so it was on the basis of the Word of God that Jacob and, and, and Isaac blessed their offspring, laid their hands on them and blessed their offspring. Do we have promises in God's Word concerning our children? Do you know that we can take those promises and we can pray over our children and bless our children in accordance with God's Word? I don't know if you ever do that. We have a biblical precedent for it. So I encourage you to do that. Let's go to the next verse, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave instructions about his burial. So here's Joseph in Egypt, and he's heard from Jacob, his father, who had heard from Isaac, and who had heard from Abraham that God had promised Abraham that his offspring would go to Egypt, that they would be enslaved there, but there would come a time when he would deliver them and take them out. On the basis of that promise given to his grandfather Abraham, Joseph, before he'd even died, says to his children, when the time comes, you take my bones with you. Don't leave them here. They were in Egypt. Take them back to the land that God has given to our father Abraham. Take them back there. What faith? There was no proof that he had that God was going to do this, except that he had received the word of God. And on the basis of what God had said, Joseph was planning his entire life and even after his life. Do we have that kind of faith in God? Do we have that kind of assurance in the word of God? 
is the word of God more true to us than any circumstance that we are faced with today? What a challenge, isn't it? What was his confidence based on? It was based on the word of God and that alone. Let's go to the next verse, verse 23. By faith, when Moses was born, his parents hid him for three months because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They disobeyed what Pharaoh said, what he had commanded, and that was that every male Hebrew child was to be put to death. They refused to do what Pharaoh told them to do. They risked their lives. They took that risk because of faith in God. They were willing to stand against the edict of the most powerful man in the world at that time. Why? Because they saw beyond him. And they saw someone who was higher and more powerful than him. And someone who had ultimate control over whether people live or die. They saw Moses, their son, that had just been born. And they were prepared to go against what the, the Pharaoh said simply because they believed God had a plan for his life. So these are just examples of faith and how faith working in people's lives influenced and shaped their actions. You know, there can be times in our lives where we may have to choose between obeying government and obeying God. Doing what's right in the eyes of God or what's right in the eyes of some human leader. And there may be consequences that come with that. And we see this throughout Scripture. We see people who were willing to suffer, even die, because they feared God more than they feared man. And this is exactly what we see here in this example of Moses' parents. Let's go on to verse 24. It says, By faith, when he, that's Moses, grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, Pharaoh's grandson. He chose, rather, to be ill-treated with the people of God. The people of God, that's the Israelites. And remember that at that time they were slaves in Egypt. He chose to be ill-treated with slaves rather than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. He regarded abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Isn't that an incredible statement? He regarded abuse for Christ, suffering for Christ, to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And remember, the treasures of Egypt were his. As Pharaoh's grandson, he had a right to the treasures of Egypt. But it says this, his eyes were fixed on the reward. What reward? The eternal reward. The reward that God had promised. And he wasn't living for what he could get his hands on here and now. He was living for what God had promised forever. And when he looked at it, it caused him to despise the treasures of Egypt and choose what God had for him instead. Look at verse 27. By faith he left Egypt without fearing the king's anger. Do you see how faith displaces 
the fear of man. Faith displaces the fear of suffering. He left Egypt without fearing the king's anger, for he persevered as though he could see the one who is invisible. And that's what faith does. Faith enables us to see the one who is invisible, that other people cannot see. And because a person of faith is seeing him who is invisible, they act very differently. They approach life very differently to the one who cannot see him who is invisible. And that's why people of faith become mysteries to those who do not have faith. People look at us today and they, they think we're mysterious. They can't understand why we do what we do. But it's because they don't see what we see. They don't see the one who is invisible. We are looking through the eyes of faith. Whereas maybe they're not. Okay? So this is what Moses had. And look at the way it influenced his life. And moved him in terms of his actions. Consider what he was giving up. And consider what he was bringing upon himself. What did Moses get in this life? Because of his faith? Do you know what he got? He got 80 years living in the desert. 40 years as a shepherd of sheep. Traveling and living in the desert amongst the scorpions. And then 40 years leading the children of Israel as sheep. And I think the last 40 were harder. That rebellious group of people that he often said, he had to say to the Lord, Lord, kill me instead of them. That's what Moses got in this life. What did he leave behind? The palaces, the servants, the click of a finger and people were running to do whatever he wanted them to do. Everything in this life that he could ever have wanted was there at his disposal. He gave it all up. Why? Because of his love for God. And his belief in the fact that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. And he looked at Pharaoh and he said, this is what Pharaoh can reward me with. And then he looked at God and he said, but this is what God can reward me with. And when he weighed the two up, he said, I'll take what God is going to give me. I don't need what Pharaoh is going to give me. That's faith. That's what faith leads people to do. Let's go to verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the one who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. He kept every little detail of what God told him to do concerning the Passover. And you can read the stories of this in Exodus. This is where, you know, when you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll see all these stories there. We don't have time to go into every single one of them. But he, was, he kept every little detail of what God commanded him to do. And yet what God commanded him to do seemed very, it seemed ridiculous really, very strange. Take a lamb, kill a lamb, take the blood, put it on the doorpost of your house, and eat the lamb ready to leave Egypt. He did it. Why? Because there was this belief in his heart that what God told him was the truth. The absolute truth. 
Verse 29. By faith they crossed the Red Sea as if on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried it, they were swallowed up. Why was that sea parted? Why did God part the sea and let the Israelites go through on dry ground? Because Moses obeyed God. What did God tell him to do as the Egyptians were bearing down on him, the Egyptian armies? What did God say he must do? He just said, take the staff that's in your hand and stretch it out. That doesn't seem like a very wise way of responding to an army that's traveling down on you. But Moses obeyed. He took that staff and he just stretched it out. That's all he did. But the moment he obeyed, God entered in and that sea parted. And they were able to go through on dry ground. Can you imagine not even water on the ground once the seas parted? And the whole nation goes through. But when Pharaoh tries to go through, he and his armies are destroyed in the water. What was it that brought that miracle? Moses simply obeyed the word of God. Why did he obey the word of God? Because he believed in the one who told him to do what he told him to do. Take these stories and apply them to your life. There may be times when God tells us to do something in His Word that just seems to go against common sense. Goes against what we would consider to work. It may seem like it's going to lead us to loss. Are we going to obey God? Or are we going to follow the thoughts of our own minds? Imagine if Moses had just followed his own thoughts. Verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people marched around them for seven days. What was it that brought this miracle? What was it that brought this great victory? What did Joshua do? He simply obeyed. That's all. Marched seven times around the city and on the last day, marched seven times on that day. Seems very strange, doesn't it? Is that the way that people would capture a city? That's what God told them to do. They didn't take a sword until after those walls had fallen down. The walls fell down simply because they obeyed what God told them to do. Do you see how you cannot separate faith and obedience? And every single one of these examples that we're reading about, it's people doing something because they had faith in their hearts. Look at the next one. Verse 31. By faith Rahab the prostitute escaped the destruction of the disobedient because she welcomed the spies in peace. Rahab was prepared to separate herself from her culture, her society, her nation because she saw who the God of Israel was. And because of the faith that rose in her heart Towards the God of Israel, she sided with the spies rather than handing them over to the, her very own people. And as a result of that, her life was spared. What examples these people are to us. She did not fear what could have happened to her. She would have been treated as a traitor. But she did not fear because she believed that God had greater power sovereign power over her life and so she turned to him and she called on him to have mercy upon her 
She said, spare me because I have looked after your people. Let's go on to verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched ranging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead, raised to life. The conquests of faith. Why did all these things happen? If you look at every single one of these examples, it's because the people obeyed God. They received God's word and they acted upon it in the way God told them to do it. And God came through for them and gave them great and mighty victories. We go on to verse 35. But others, notice this starts with this word, but. But others were tortured, not accepting release to obtain resurrection to a better life. And others experienced mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawed apart, murdered with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and openings in the earth. Don't we see two very different sides of the coin here? On the one side, we see these people who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, raised the dead, saw great deliverances. And then on the other side, we see these people who had faith, and yet they were tortured. They were sawn into two. They were imprisoned. They went around destitute. They lived in caves and holes in the ground. Elijah was one of these people. He lived in a hole in the ground. He lived in caves. He was on the run constantly from Ahab and Jezebel. They wanted his head. He had a bounty over his head most of his, of his ministering life. You see, what can we learn from this? If you can just put up the next one there. Having faith in God is no guarantee of a better life in this world. And it's not even a guarantee that God will deliver you from suffering, hardship, and even martyrdom. You know, and some people say this. They say if you have faith, you will be blessed, you'll be prosperous, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy. Everything will go well for you. But if we read the Bible, we see that that's not the way it was. So we can expect that God will bring great deliverances. God can bring great victories. God can bring great miracles and accomplishments through us as we obey Him. But there's also places where we might suffer greatly for obeying Him. Where we might be imprisoned for obeying Him. Tortured. Maybe even martyred. And isn't the history of God's people just so littered, let me use that word, littered with people that have suffered for His sake. Even today, there are people in this world that are suffering because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine someone saying to you, if you do not denounce the Lord Jesus, you're the one you call Lord, we will kill your children right in front of your eyes. 
you know that that's happening to people today? Can you imagine parents being faced with that kind of decision? Do they denounce Christ? Or watch their child be killed and tortured in front of their eyes? There are people in this world facing that choice today. I wonder what we would do. Because the stories I hear, I hear of parents saying, I cannot denounce my faith. And I hear of the children, as they are grabbed by those persecutors, shouting out to their parents, don't denounce the faith. If they kill us, we will go to be with Jesus. But I put myself in their shoes and I wonder, do we have that kind of faith in God? Do we have the faith that Abraham had? Are we absolutely certain about the promises of God? Do we believe that there is going to be a resurrection of the dead? What incredible examples of faith we have here. Let's just finish looking at the last verses verse 39 it says and these all that's all the people that have been mentioned in this chapter were commended for their faith even those who suffered because of their faith were commended why because of their faith yet they did not receive what was promised so all those people that received those great miracles, Daniel when the lion's mouth was closed, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego when the, the, the flames were, couldn't harm them when they were delivered from the fire. All those people, all the great miracles and deliverances that they received, it says here, not one of them received what was promised. Why? Because the promise of God pertains to the life to come. It pertains to eternal life. So even while we may receive miracles of God, we may re we, there's times when we may be healed, there's times when we may have um, great works of God and testimonies of God in our lives here. We need to remember that that is not what God has promised. Those are just little foretastes of His goodness. Those are just like little pay down payments, just saying to us, I have you. I have your eternal welfare in my heart. And if we don't see the deliverance, if we don't see that miracle, if like Isaiah, we are soared in two because of our faith and our stand for the truth, we can still say, God has got our backs. He's got our future in His hands. They were all commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what was promised. Look at the last verse. It says, For God had provided something better for us, so that they would be made perfect together with us. Do you see what this means? This is what it means. What they were believing for, all these great saints that we look at in this chapter, what they were believing for is exactly what you and I are believing God for. What they were promised by God is exactly what we have been promised by God. The faith that they held in God is exactly the same faith that we hold in Him. We worship the same God and we serve the same God.
And there is a time coming when all God's people, all together, at the same time, will receive what God has promised. There's a time when we, together with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Enoch, Noah, Abel, all these people will receive the very thing that they believed God for. The same reward that they were looking ahead to. The reward that Moses was looking to as he journeyed into that wilderness with, those, um, with the nation of Israel. That same reward that he was looking for, we will receive with them in the kingdom of God. We're not living for this life. As Christians, this is not what it's about. We have something far better that God has prepared for us. These saints died in faith. They died looking for that promise. They were still looking for it. Some of us may die. Maybe all of us will die still waiting for that promise. But it's going to come to pass. God has set a day when He will reward the righteous, those who had faith in Him. And He will reward them with everything that He's promised us. Eternal life, immortality. I mean, the Scriptures are just full of it. We will reign with Christ. We will be seated on His throne with Him. We will inherit a new earth. They'll be under a new heaven. The home of righteousness. This is what we're living for. This life is temporary. It's passing. It's fleeting. But what God has promised us is eternal. And this, that eternal promise, is what we're believing for. That's what our hope is in. And if we have faith in our hearts, we're absolutely certain that it will come to pass. Death cannot stop it coming to pass. No circumstance of life can stop it coming to pass. you believe this today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can gain great courage, inspiration from the heroes of the faith that have gone before us. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are the same God today as you've always been. And you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the God of all these great men and women of faith. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. And that we can say today alongside them, you are our God. That we can have faith in you just like they had faith in you. We can trust in you just like they trusted in you. We can be devoted to you just like they were devoted to you. Oh Father, help us, I pray. Help us to see beyond this life. Help us to see beyond this short and very often miserable life. Help us to see that you truly do have a hope and a future for us. That the best is yet to be, yet to come. Help us to live, Lord, our lives in the light of this 
truth in the light of what you promised. Help every one of us today, I pray. Amen. Well, I hope that you've been encouraged and inspired to trust and have faith in the Lord.